Good morning. Welcome. Thank you. I got some responses over here. Uh, my name is David. Uh, for those of you who are new, um, if you're watching on live stream, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, this is Garland. And fun fact, when I was in seventh grade, Garland was the worship uh, pastor for the student ministry. And in seventh grade was the first time I ever played. And I tried to back out like two days before the service. Um, it was on Saturday. It was on Saturday. I didn't know one of the songs, and so instead of trying to learn it, I just said, hey, man, I don't think I can make it tomorrow. Um, he came to my house and made sure and taught me how to play that song, and then I think you beat me in ping pong, too. Um, but I'm grateful for you, because without that, I don't know if I'd be doing the job that I do now, so thankful for you. Uh, anyway, you. I'm David. He's Garland, and we're, and we're glad that you're here this morning. If you would, would you stand with us, and we're going we're gonna to read this prayer together, and then we're going to sing praises uh, to, our, to our God and our King this morning. So let's, let's read this together out loud. God, our rock, our refuge, our resting place, we come to you. Out of another busy week of work, out of our struggles to be meaningful in our world, out of our desire to meet you and to know you as the center of our being, we come to you, O oh, immovable rock of our security. Let us sing praises to your great name and rest in the promise of your salvation. Amen. So this morning, let's do that. Let's sing praises to our King together. Y'all sing these words with me of this old hymn as we celebrate our King together. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master, my gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth and broad the honors of Thy name. Sing to our King, so come on and sing out, let our anthem grow loud. There is one great love, Jesus. Just think about these words as we sing. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bends our sorrows, sees. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood avail for me. So come on and sing out, let our anthem grow loud. There is one great love, there is one great love, Jesus. He speaks, he speaks 
and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe. Glory to God. Glory to God and praise and love be ever, ever given by saints below and saints above the church and earth and heaven. So come on and sing out, let our anthem grow loud. There is one great love. So come on and sing out, let our anthem grow loud. There is one great love. Oh, there is one great love. Jesus. Four times, sing it out. So come on, so come on and sing out. Let our anthem grow loud. There is one great love. Oh, there is one great love. Together, my hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's a solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand When darkness seems to hide his face I rest on his unknown Every high and stormy gate, my anchor holds within the veil. So we sing it out on Christ the Son. Sing that again. He shall come. 
When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne, faultless to stand before the throne, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand On Christ On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand all of the ground is sinking So come on and sing out that our anthem grow loud. There is one great love. There There's a uh, several thousand year old poem, and it begins by asking the reader to bless the Lord, which just means to give him the praise, the glory, the honor that he deserves. And then it goes on to describe what, that, what this great king, what this God has done for us. And we're gonna sing part of that old, old poem here this morning. It comes from Psalm 103. So join me as we sing these words. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, we worship him and him alone, he's our king. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His The sun comes up, it's a new day dawn. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing with thee. His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship your holy name Think about these words You're rich in love And you're slow to anger your name is great and your heart is kind. 
for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to so we bless the Lord, sing it out. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I'll worship Your holy time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forever more forevermore bless the Lord oh my soul oh His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship your holy name Bless the Lord, oh my soul Oh my soul Worship His holy name like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name, and I will worship your holy name, yes we will worship your holy name. Well Jesus, would you remind us right now that the goodness of our God at it's seen in the face of you in this world and your death and your resurrection. To see God, we see you. And so, Jesus, here in this place, we honor you as our king. We pray this in your name. Amen. Y'all, please grab a seat. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Um, if you are uh, new to fellowship or maybe this is your first time coming to church ever or in a really long time, uh, I'll try to explain kind of what we do as we go, but Welcome. If you're new with us or maybe you showed up today uh, and you've got questions about what church is or questions about Jesus or Christianity or any of that, maybe you got some doubts, uh, skepticism, that's great. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we would love to meet you and walk through just what it looks like to, to know Jesus and follow him. Um, but uh, if, if that's you, if you're new, uh, you, can, you can hit this, what do you call these things? QR codes, you hit the QR code, uh, or you can go talk to a person out in the booth right through those doors as you leave. Uh, you can talk to me later. I'd love to meet you. Um, welcome. Happy Memorial Day. The faithful, the faithful ones who came on Memorial Day weekend, they're not at the lake right now. How many of you are going to the lake today? Yeah, it's going to be it's a little cold for the lake, but it's going to be an awesome day. Um, I got back from the beach uh, yesterday. At eight o'clock, so I spent all day in the kit in the car with three kids under nine. 
uh, yesterday. So that was fun. But I'm glad to be here uh, with y'all. As we, as we celebrate Memorial Day, uh, just a reminder that for, uh, for many people, Memorial Day is like that day off on the Monday. But for lots of people, Memorial Day is a time where it, it can be a time where it reminds us of people that we've lost. And so uh, let me just encourage you to take uh, this day, tomorrow, and if you know somebody that has uh, been in service or if, you, or if you know somebody who knows somebody that's been in service to our country, would you shoot them a text or give them a call tomorrow to let them know you're thinking about them? Uh, and if you have lost somebody, we say thank you. And if you've been in service in this room, we say thank you so much. Uh, for uh, serving this country and for uh, serving us. And so I just wanted to to say that to all of you this morning as a reminder for you and for me. Uh, This is church, and what what we do at church oftentimes can seem kind of strange. Like we show up and we sing songs and then we hear the Bible taught. And if you're new, uh, the reason we do that is in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, this guy from nearly 2,000 years ago told us to get together, and he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that being filled with the Spirit looks like is it looks like singing and praying together and singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and serving each other and submitting to one another, and uh, that's what we do. And so we're going to continue to do that, but this is just a part of our worship, our honoring the Lord coming here it's just a, a small part of that, but uh, as, as followers of Jesus, uh, we gather because we need to sing because it's our pledge of our loyalty and our allegiance to our King Jesus. And with that in mind, would you stand with me? And I'm gonna invite you. This is gonna, we're gonna sing this next song almost entirely you. So you're gonna lead it. My fingers hurt because I was in the ocean all week and I haven't played the guitar in a while. Uh, and uh, I, I would just like to hear you sing the story that we tell as followers of Jesus is that our great king came and served us in such a radical way that he loved his enemies to the point of taking on their hostility, their anger on himself. And what our king has done is he's given us this amazing gift of grace. He's made a way for us to have peace with God and peace with each other. And he started new creation here in the world. And we believe it as Jesus followers, right? The tomb's not empty, and that's why we're here. And so he is, the, he is our king. And what a story we have to tell of his amazing grace. And I just this song, obviously, every time I hear it, just reminds me of him intersecting that amazing grace with me going into my sophomore year of high school and changing my life. And for many of you, that's your story. So whether you sound good or bad this morning, I want you to sing it if you're a follower of Jesus, and we're going to let you lead us. So let's sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm
His grace is with us through many dangers, toils, and snares. Through this in your head when we've been there. Take it home, amazing grace. I know that 
Thank you for that truth this morning. Well, thank you for your grace. That's a gift. Well, thank you for the cross that sets us free. Lord, you teach us this morning from your word that we may leave here different than how we came in. Lord, you open our hearts, open our minds to understand what you have for us, that we may live differently. God, would you change us this morning through your word and through your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. You grab a seat. Thank you, Dave. Garland, good guys, awesome staff team. And in light of that, I wanted to bring you, our church family, in on a tra- another transition that's happening this summer. Um, if I don't know you, my name's Clark. I serve as a congregational leader here in Fayetteville. And last week, we got to celebrate Kyle and Elise McCarthy. They're going to be transitioning off our staff team and uh, moving to Tokyo, Japan. And so we're excited about launching them Finley Robinson will also be doing the same, but not in Tokyo. He's going to be staying with us here in Fayetteville, and Finley's going to be uh, moving off our staff this summer and pursuing um, some local business opportunities. And so we're super thrilled that he and his family are still going to be with us serving and attending church here uh, with us at Fellowship Fayetteville. Um, This is Finley with my oldest son, Nate, when Nate was, I believe he was 15 and going on his first mission trip. And so I owe a lot to Finley and his investment in my own family, uh, Finley's beautiful family, um, Brooke and May and Silas and Elle, and this is us playing some bad golf up in, uh, up in Missouri, and then there's, there's the team right there, right there the power team, uh, Garland Finley. So you'll still see him in the foyer. Did you know that before he served us as a pastor here in Fayetteville, he served in student ministry for almost 14 years, and so Many generations at Fellowship have been, been impacted by his faithfulness to gospel ministry. And so, Finley, I don't know if you're here this morning, if you're watching, um, if you're out of town with your family, but, Finley, I want to say thank you for your faithfulness in ministry and just your, your goodness to us and our staff team. 
And uh, Finley is the consummate pastor. He, he actually cares for people, and he sees needs. He's very self-aware of those needs, and he comes alongside people and uh, makes them feel like Jesus is near them. And so uh, we're super thankful that he's going to be with us, and we're grateful for his service. Give him a hand. Yeah. Well, is there anyone in the room that enjoys a good power nap? Got some fellow power nappers in here? Yeah? Some of you don't want to admit it because sometimes those who power nap can be viewed as lazy. They can't quite make it through the day without a little extra rest, right? Um, and there's some of you that you can't because if you're like my wife, if she chooses to nap, she dozes off and three and a half hours later, she wakes up wondering what just happened to the world. And she can't finish the day. So she doesn't nap unless she's in the car and we're on a trip. But 30 years ago, this summer actually, um, I learned the art of the power nap. I was on a landscape maintenance crew in Dallas, Texas, and we were working in the village apartment communities. If you're from Dallas or you're familiar with Dallas, you may know it's a huge apartment community. It's just across 75 Central Expressway um, from SMU. And uh, one of the cool things about our schedule, we worked 7 to 4 every day in the hot Texas summer heat, is at 11 we would break for lunch. And our whole crew uh, from, different, uh, from different nationalities, different ethnicities, uh, we would all eat our lunch and then everybody would take a power nap. And my friend and I, Dave, would take our sack lunch and we would find a breezeway in one of the apartment communities, which we probably shouldn't have been hanging out in those spaces, and we would eat our PBJ, Fritos, Little Debbie, and Gatorade, the lunch of hardworking Americans. And then we would wad up our brown paper sack, and we'd, we'd put it right behind that little part in your neck that has the curve, you know, and lay flat on a six-foot piece of concrete. <laughs> Take our shoes off, and that warm Texas air would push through these breezeways. And you could hear the hum of the freeway off in the distance. You could smell fresh-cut grass coming through the breezeway. And for about 15 to 20 minutes, we were at peace, at rest. It was incredible. The most incredible thing is that we learned how to snap out of it without a cell phone alarm clock. And that we learned how to enjoy this peace in the midst of a hot, rigorous day of work. The thing about this power nap and all power naps, and my staff will tell you, I've learned all kinds of places around here to take one, is that they always end. And when you're dozing off, you know it's going to come to an end. And then at 12, I'm back out in the hot Texas heat. You see, naps in whatever form you take them in, they always end. I want to introduce you this morning to a rest that never ends, a rest that you can perpetually live in, enjoy, work in, relate in, a rest that never ends, and this rest is found in Jesus. He's our true source of rest, our true source of refreshment, and so what we're going to do is we're going to stand together. Our passage is short enough, if you could, go ahead and Stand, and I'm going to read our passage this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 16. Let us, therefore, 
strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Since that's true, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's word. You may be seated. For those of you that are taking notes, or if you are using your faithful Hebrews study guide, your devotional guide, um, if you don't have one of those, you can pick one of those up on your way out. This is going to be our simple outline that we're going to walk through these six verses together. Uh, living rest, living word, living priest. This will help us work through our passage today. And so in verse 11, right out of the gate, we have an interesting phrase here. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Our passage begins with one of the first three let us statements or exhortations in this passage. And we find ourselves here at um, this culminating, this this peak of the first section of Hebrews with these three let us statements. This is the first one. If you need to catch up and understand the context of where we've been, go back and hear some of Michael's teaching in the first week, Garland's last week. In the first week, Michael noted two themes that run concurrently through this book. This idea of Jesus being superior, and because of that, we are to persevere. Uh, Jesus is the final word, and this truth should compel us to stay in this thing in the fight. Garland helped us see that Jesus meets us in our pain, and we're to have poise in our trial. And so today we move to this peak of the first section of Hebrews, and we see here that we're to strive to enter this rest that we're to live in. Um, it's an interesting phrase, and when anytime you see the word therefore in a passage, for those of you that have had personal Bible study methods here, you've, you've taken that class, when you see the word therefore, what's the question you always ask? That's right, what is it there for? And in, most often, the therefore refers to what's been previously said. And so in this case, we go back to the first 10 verses of chapter 4. We're not going to read that whole section, but we're going to look at a couple verses that summarize what this means. We'll pick it up in verse 2. For good news came to us. He's speaking in the present there. Came to us, and he's, he, this letter's written to Hebrew or Jewish Christians. He came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith or belief, or trust with those who listened, or heard, and acted on the word of God. For we, again, present tense, who have believed, enter that rest. 
we who have believed enter that rest. And then down in verse six, since therefore it remains for some to enter this rest, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. So to summarize verses one through 10 and understand what this therefore is, Israel, in the Old Testament, they did not experience the rest promised to them in the land that God gave them because of their lack of faith, because of their lack of trust in God and his promises and in their concurrent disobedience because of that lack of faith. They did not enter or fully experience this idea of rest in the land. We also can assume that in verse three, we who have believed, those who have believed in the promise of God in Christ, we've entered that rest. It's something that we have an ongoing experience in. So what is this, what is this rest? Uh, rest in its uh, purest form, it means to cease from action, to cease from work, cease from self-effort. The Bible, and this is not an exhaustive, exhaustive list, but the Bible speaks of rest in a variety of terms. We have God's creation rest. On the seventh day, God rested, not that he needed that, but he rested, and we call that God's creation rest. We also have man's Sabbath rest. This was God's gift to man in the Ten Commandments, in the law, so that man would slow down, enjoy God, and God would bless him with the day of rest. It's man's Sabbath rest. We also have Israel's promised land rest, of which we were speaking of earlier, of which they missed out the fullness of on because of a lack of belief in God's promise. You remember we studied Joshua, their hesitation, their fight to get through the Jordan River, uh, their fear of the giants in the land. They didn't experience the fullness of the land because of their lack of of trust and obedience. Uh, this is a land that many believe that is still coming for those of the nation of Israel. They're experiencing what we call millennial rest in the land when Jesus reigns and rules on the earth for a thousand years. It's millennial rest. Then we have the believer's rest. This is the idea that I think he's speaking to here, the believer's rest in the finished work of Jesus, his work on the cross, his work in his resurrection that we get credit for because we've trusted in him to do that salvation work. And then we have our heavenly rest. And this heavenly rest, this idea that one day in our glorified bodies, we're gonna be with God. God will dwell with man for all eternity in perfection and worship. The interesting thing about rest is you look at um, some of the physical manifestations of it, whether it be man's Sabbath rest or whether it be what we might have fun with with a power nap. Um, all rest in the scriptures is pointing to something deeper. And in, at the intersection of rest, what you see happening throughout scripture and the fullness of it is this idea that man is at peace or he's dwelling with God. It's the sweet enjoyment of the presence of God that all rest is pointing to. And so for our purposes here this morning, that's what rest is. And then there seems to be an oxymoron here. We're commanded or exhorted to strive to enter. The idea of strive, it doesn't mean to strive with, it means, or work against, it means to be diligent or be careful to or make every effort to be diligent. And while rest is ceasing from action, true rest here 
And this is hard to understand, but true rest is trusting in someone else to do the work. Spiritually speaking, I think we understand that when it comes to our salvation. That's the experience of true rest. But it's something that once you trust in this person to do the work, it's something you can continually live in. It's easy for me to understand when I think that on January 14th, 1995, Mountain Home, Arkansas, Pamela Denise Rory, she made a decision that day to enter into marital bliss with me, okay? (laughs) On that day, we began our marriage. There was a day we were married. January 15th happened. And we had to wake up and be married and continue to live in this covenant that began at a certain time in a certain place. To have an ongoing trust in one another, to joyfully persevere and to finish well this covenant that we began. And the same's true here. This is a rest that you enter in through faith and trust, but it's something you continue to believe. It's something you continue to preach to yourself daily. This is true of me in who I am in Christ. And it perseveres you, as Garland talked about, that idea perseveres you in the ups and downs and the trials and the joys. And so how do we walk in this rest? And I think it's an interesting, there's some clues here in our passage today that help us practically walk in this rest and experience the fullness of what God intended for us. It's an interesting angle here. You go to verses Uh, 12 and 13, and we see God's living word doing a work to help us understand and experience this rest. It says the word of God is living and active. The phrase word of God is most often used to describe the scriptures or the written or the spoken word of God. But in many cases, especially in the New Testament, that phrase is often used of speaking of the living word, the incarnate word, Jesus. If we just go back to Hebrews Chapter one, verse two, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. In the beginning, John 1, 1 was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh in John 1, 14, and dwelt among us. So we see a personification of the written or the spoken word of God in the son here. The word of God is living and active, and we're accountable to him for that. It's a warning the way this is phrased. It's living because it's spoken and it has ongoing work as the Spirit uses it to fillet our heart and expose us for who we are. We're accountable to one who knows our motives, even our motives when we obey on the outside, but we're half-hearted on the inside, the word of God is living and active. The idea of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, thoughts and intentions encompasses all the things inside our bodies that you cannot see, but God sees them. And that's why we can hide behind the facade, but we can't when the word of God is laid bare against our heart. God sees and God knows the big why of your life. And for some of you, he knows the apathy of the lack of a why, a big why in your life. He also knows the darkest thought you've had towards a person that you have great disdain for, that you would never speak of out loud. He knows the darkest sexual thought that you've ever had, that you hope no one ever knows about. 
He knows those situations where you've manipulated words to make yourself come across in a better light. He knows how you can turn situations and conversations to make yourself look good. And he knows how you always can manipulate things or turn things so that someone else is always wrong and you're always right. And then some of you, he even knows how you can turn the desire for comfort into a slow creep, into greed where you take advantage of others for your own personal gain. You're probably not feeling a lot of rest right now. But that's what, that's what the word of God does. It exposes the darkness of our own heart and it pushes us to this next idea of a living priest. When our hearts are exposed and we're hidden, and we're not hidden anymore, we're in need of a priest um, to do the work of grace in our life. And so that's what we have in verses 14 to 16. 16. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Since that's true, we have our second let us statement here. Let us hold fast our confession. Let's hold fast to what we believed in, in our salvation, the truths of the gospel. Let's hold fast to that. Uh, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let's hold on to that truth and let it drive us in our perseverance. In the Old Covenant, once a, once a year, the priest on Yom Kippur would offer sacrifice on behalf of him and the sins of the people of Israel. He would offer up that sacrifice, and in the New Testament, instead of a slain animal and the pouring of blood over the altar, uh, Jesus would become the lamb slain, and he would be, be the one in his humanity and his deity, he would be the one to crawl up on the altar and to lay his life down as a covering for the sins of us. Jesus understands because of his humanity, our weakness, our humanity in the incarnation and being both fully God and fully man. I think Jesus felt the grind of humanity much, much more than us in his holiness, his sensitivity to sin uh, even much greater. God, in fact, the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Imagine that, the purity and reverence and holiness of the perfect human having the stain of sin uh, poured on him so that we could be made into the righteousness of God. You see, he never caved in. He resisted temptation to its fullest extent, we have a moment where we tend to cave in, and then we have our third let us exhortation in the passage. Because of what he's done, let us with confidence experience and draw near, experience mercy and grace, mercy in our weakness, mercy not getting the punishment that our sins deserve, grace experiencing the blessing that we didn't earn. Grace, experiencing the power in temptation by the Spirit to say no to sin. We come to him, our great high priest. And so we have two things going on here. We have our hearts fully exposed by the word of God, fully known in all its darkness, and we have a loving, great high priest ready to forgive and bring mercy to those 
sins. Two things are happening here. Tim Keller says it like this. This is probably one of his more famous statements. The gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Isn't that amazing? Two things happening concurrently at the same time, fully known yet fully accepted. And we kind of know this is true in our earthly relationships. It's likely that those of you that have opened your heart to a friend or a spouse and you're fully known in all the dark places of your heart and yet you're fully accepted, you know that's a place of rest and friendship, right? It's a place of peace. It's a place where you long to be in terms of intimacy in relationship. It's the same is true spiritually. This was God's plan in the garden to bring us this type of rest, uh, to be fully known, to be fully accepted. This was God's plan in the wilderness and his presence of God in the tabernacle, in the tent. This was God's plan in the prophets as they prophesied of one who was to come, the good kings of both Judah and Israel. This is what they were pointing us to. This is the heart behind the Sermon on the Mount, teaching this rest that he promises. This is why Paul could live so intensely and yet walk in this deep sense of contentment. This is where history is heading. This rest, God's dwelling with his people and our enjoyment of his sweet, sweet presence. Jesus is the source of our true rest. Augustine says this, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And my guess this morning is that there's some of us in the room, including me, who need some rest. Our Our soul, our heart, our mind, we're restless, we're anxious, we're worried, we're haunted by our past, we're anxious about our future. We struggle to enjoy our margin in our life, whether it be emails, texts, the glow of our phone, our soul, our soul's longing for rest or freedom from keeping up appearances, spinning plates, uh, this con- perpetual state of there's something next, the inability to sit and enjoy the presence of God. It, it, anybody feel that? The, the anxious headline that causes this anger to dwell and grow in your heart? The, the inability to find this place to lie down, to be settled, to be secure, no matter how many lifestyle changes you make, be it with your diet, an exercise regimen, the next book you read, there's something always stirring. Uh, this rest is found in a person, and his name is Jesus, and he's the living word and the living priest. And in this rest, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no anxiety, there's no need to earn approval from him or others. It's the freedom to live without worry or be haunted by your past. So, application, he encourages us with these three let us statements. Let us enter this rest through faith and belief on the finished work of Jesus. Let us hold fast that confession. Let us, because of that, your darkest moments draw near. You know, one of my favorite power naps of all time happened in July of 2000. Uh, This is uh, me and my oldest son, Nate. He's working the uh, Nikes there. 
And uh, I had just driven from Chicago to Mountain Home, Arkansas, about a 10-hour trip, and I was in need of a power nap. Um, Nate was a little restless, kind of that afternoon space. Nate was seven months old at this time. Um, and we found ourselves at Grandma and Grandpa's, and Nate seemed to always be uh, most at peace or happy when I would lay him on my chest, okay? I don't know if it was just the, the heartbeat or the, the, the warmth of Dad holding him, but um, some, I don't know if it was Grandma or Grandpa or Pam, they took a picture of this. You see, Nate, in this case, he was fully dependent on Pam and I for his existence, for everything, to be fed, to be clothed, uh, Nate was dependent on us to clean him, even. He probably doesn't like to think about that now. Emotional nurture, nurturing. It was a sweet season of life. In these last 21 years, we've moved towards independence, right, parents? Isn't that what we do? Can they live on their own? We got to get them to that point. And it's a bittersweet day. Three years ago, Nate walked the U University of Arkansas. Three weeks ago. And we experienced that joyful moment. But you know what this picture reminds me of? I'm Nate. And no, that's, that's not God up there, me representing God. But that dependence that he had on me, I see myself as that's when I experienced the fullness of this idea of rest. Fully dependent by faith, trusting God for everything. That's where I find my sweet moments of rest, trusting in his promises, remaining in complete dependence on him. And Nate was fully known, fully dependent at that moment on me and Pam. I am on God and I need his promises to sustain me and help me obey him fully dependent on the living word and the living priest to do a work that I could never do. Jesus, our true rest. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the rest that you offer that the world cannot fulfill. God, I pray that you would grant us the wisdom to walk in that rest. And even today and tomorrow, the joy of slowing down and experience the divine presence to be at peace with you, fully known and fully accepted. In Jesus' name, amen. Followers of Jesus in the room, would you stand and sing as we hold fast our confession together that Jesus is our high priest, our merciful and faithful high priest. Sing it out. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. My all in all, here in the love of Christ, I sing. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, 
fullness of God in heaven this this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of God. and his promise to us no guilt in life no fear in death no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commends my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ will stand Fellowship, Fayetteville, in Matthew 11, as Jesus speaks to Jewish brothers that he died for, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and find rest for your souls. Jesus, he is our true and he's our better rest. Let's live in that this week. If you need someone to share a burden with you and to cast your care upon Jesus with, our prayer room's available to your right through these doors right here. Let's have a great week, fellowship. Thank you for being here this morning.